Finding Home is a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society. The Society is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to research, present, and preserve information about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy. Greetings. I'm Margaret Lynch of the Irish American Archives Society. Welcome to our podcast series, Finding Home. Last episode, I talked about the impact of the 1950s and 1960s immigrants on Gaelic sports in Cleveland. But the impact of the recent arrivals extended far beyond football. The post-war immigrants quickly formed new clubs and became leaders in the old ones. Irish club activity flourished. The ancient order of Hibernians was Cleveland's only 19th century Irish group to continue on into the 20th century. According to contemporary accounts, the AOH marched for the first time in the St. Patrick's Day Parade in 1873. It was the Hibernians who maintained the tradition of marching to church on St. Patrick's Day after other Irish groups tired of tussling with Bishop Gilmore over the downtown parade. The Ladies' Auxiliary of the Ancient Order of Hibernians was formed in 1894. Clevelander Adelia Christie rose from local division president to national president in the 1910s. The LAAOH played a strong role in launching the Irish Cultural Garden in the 1930s. Garden leader Mary Kay Duffy was a Hibernian and enlisted her sister Hibernians in the effort. From Duffy to Mary Ellen Murphy to Bernadette Murphy, no relation to Mary Ellen, a line of Hibernian women assumed responsibility for fundraising and maintenance after the garden's dedication in 1939. Bernadette Murphy's daughters, Sheila Murphy Crawford and Joan Murphy Cavanaugh, continued the work. Sheila Murphy Crawford recently served as president of the Cleveland Cultural Gardens Federation. The ladies' AOH had as many as ten divisions at one time, but was down to three by 1940. All three divisions had strong leaders, and division leaders Mary Reynolds, Mary O'Leary, and Dee Schofield all became state presidents during the post-war decades. The Hibernian women were children of immigrants as well as more recent arrivals. Some had husbands who were active in the men's divisions. The three women's divisions all sent representatives to a county board where they learned to hammer out differences and work together. The women eventually merged into one division and dropped the word auxiliary from their title. They're now the Ladies' Ancient Order of Hibernians. There were 15 men's AOH divisions back in 1896, but by 1935, the number of men's divisions fell to three. By 1966, the number of active members across all divisions had dwindled to 17. Those 17 decided to reorganize as one division in 1966. They also agreed to recruit new members. One recruit was William Barry. Barry's sister Mary and brother-in-law Jim Reynolds were Hibernian stalwarts, and Jim and Mary's children were already on their way to becoming Hibernian mainstays as well. Involvement in the Hibernians was a family affair. The Barry parents had both immigrated to the U.S. in the early 20th century. They met and married in Chicago, where several children were born. In about 1920, they returned to the Barry home place on an island in Clue Bay, where two more children were born. The family came back to the U.S. in about 1925, this time to Cleveland. Bill Barry found work here as a sign painter. He designed the AOH banquet and event programs for many years. Augustine Boland also became an active AOH member. 
Boland had come to Cleveland from County Sligo when he was 18 in about 1948. After working construction for several years, Boland joined the Air Force. Attending the University of Dayton on the GI Bill, he graduated with a degree in civil engineering in 1961 and joined the staff of the Cuyahoga County Engineer. Gus, as Boland was known, was a frequent AOH officer and was honored as Hibernian of the Year in 1972. Both Boland and Barry died in 1979, Gus at a relatively young age of cancer. The revived men's AOH division was renamed the Barry Boland Division in honor of both men in 1982. Gus Boland exemplified how quickly the 1950s and 1960s immigrants got involved in the Cleveland community and how broad their reach was. In addition to re-energizing the AOH in Cleveland, Gus Boland was a frequent officer of the Gaelic Society. The Gaelic Society had its roots in the Gaelic League in Ireland. The Gaelic League was founded in 1893 to promote the Irish language. The Cleveland Gaelic Society was founded here in about 1958 by recent immigrants who had grown up during a period of revival for a traditional Irish language, music, and dance. The Gaelic Society was best known for holding Cayley instruction in dances, frequently at the Westside Irish American Club. Cayley dancing is a form of Irish social dancing. The dances are typically done in groups, and the basic moves are simple. Unlike competitive step dancing, anyone can join in. But local Irish dancing teachers were often on hand to offer guidance nonetheless. Other clubs with similar interests and origins were also forming in the 1950s. The Gaelic Athletic Association was part of the Gaelic Revival Movement as well. Gaelic football and hurling clubs were both organized along GAA lines in Cleveland by the early 1950s. The city's traditional Irish musicians formed an association in about 1958, and the first FESH, or traditional Irish dancing competition, was held at the Berea Fairgrounds also in 1958. An informal committee of parents organized the Cleveland FESH for many years, until Sean Boland, a nephew of Gus's, formed the Greater Cleveland FESH Society in 1982. The new clubs often had overlapping interests and members. Several of the hurling folks were also musicians, most notably Al O'Leary. Nell Buckley was a camogie player coach, but also an avid Cayley dancer, speaker of Irish, and frequent Gaelic Society officer. The four clubs that were directly involved in preserving traditional Irish culture decided to join forces. They were the Gaelic Football Club, Gaelic Hurling Club, Irish Musicians Association, and Gaelic Society. The four were officially the Associated Irish Clubs and were unofficially known as the Four Clubs. Gus Boland encouraged the association and served as an early president. He also helped to reorganize the parade effort, but I'll talk more about that next episode. Al O'Leary and his family were also mainstays of the Four Clubs. For many years, the Associated Irish Clubs co-sponsored an annual dance downtown on St. Patrick's Day. A young woman from the Irish community was honored as Queen Deirdre at the dance. Gus Boland's brother Joe Boland was the longtime president and driving force behind another new club formed in the 1950s, the Pioneers. The Pioneer Total Abstinence Association of the Sacred Heart was founded in Dublin in 1898. A revival of Father Theobald Matthews' earlier movement, the Pioneer Movement, spread throughout Ireland. 
Many young Irish Catholics took the pledge to abstain from alcohol at the time of their confirmation. Father Liam Kitt was already a committed pioneer when he arrived in Cleveland from County Galway in 1944. Father Kitt was assigned to St. Patrick's Parish on Bridge Avenue. St. Pat's had been a bastion of Father Matthew men in the 19th century. Father Kitt quickly attracted 1950s arrivals who were interested in forming a Cleveland chapter of the Pioneers. Many of the pioneers of that early era were also staunch Gaelic Society members, such as Nell Buckley, Joan Rialli, and John Lackey. It wasn't surprising then that the pioneers were receptive when member Kevin McGinty proposed to produce Irish plays under the Pioneer banner. McGinty immigrated to Cleveland in 1960 from the Castle Bar area in County Mayo. He was a house painter here by trade. McGinty played on several national championship Gaelic football teams in the 1960s, and many decades later he became a founding board member of the Irish American Archives Society. McGinty's productions, often featuring pioneer Jack Kilbane in a rascally role, became much-anticipated community events. The new clubs of the 1950s often convened at the West Side Irish American Club. While the West Side IA was not as old as the AOH, the West Side Club had developed into a community hub by the 1950s. The West Side IA was founded in about 1930 by folks who had immigrated to Cleveland as children in the 1880s, along with their children, and more recent 1920s arrivals. From the beginning, the club had its own hall which provided a gathering place for dances, dinners, communion breakfasts, card parties, and other activities. The West Side Club was a home away from home for the 1920s immigrants, whether they lived on the West Side or the East Side. It was still the go-to place for new arrivals in the 1950s and 1960s. When I was researching the GAA a few years back, I spoke with St. Pat's footballer Joe Boyle. Boyle recalled that in the Cleveland of his younger years, a newcomer like himself could walk into the West Side Irish American Club and find himself on a Gaelic football team a week later. Practice on Thursdays, games on Sundays, dances at the West Side IA Hall, tug-of-war games at Irish picnics, all of these familiar activities created a bond. Boyle concluded, and I quote, It was a haven. It was all we knew. End quote. The West Side IA benefited from continuity of leadership. Patrick Lynch became president of the West Side Club within a year of its founding and would serve as president until he retired in 1967. Many of Lynch's immediate successors were 1950s and 1960s immigrants, notably Steve Malloy, Jerry Lavelle, Terry Joyce, and Eddie Campbell. So was John O'Brien, the club's current president and one of its longest-serving presidents after Pat Lynch. Lynch was at the helm in 1951 when the club moved from West 65th in Detroit to West 96th in Madison. The 1950s newcomers were in charge of the next move to Olmstead Township. Labor leader Terry Joyce was chair of the search committee for a new location then. He was club president in 1971 when the club purchased property in Olmstead Township. Joyce stepped down mid-term to focus on acquiring, rezoning, and developing the land to meet environmental standards. Numerous club members of the 1950s cohort stepped up to do the excavating, drainage, building, stonework, and paving. When the move finally took place in 1989, Helen Malloy was president and in charge of the daunting logistics. 
Born in the U.S., Helen was the daughter of 1920s-era immigrants and had grown up in the club. Preparations for St. Patrick's Day provided a unifying focus for the West Side Club. Year by year, the club added more marching units until today it typically enters 11 units in the parade. An honor guard, a members unit, a float, club honorees, the ladies' drill team, the senior fife and drums, the pom-poms, the junior fife and drums, majorettes and flags, a bagpipe band, and a trolley for the senior group, Forever Young. For a time in the 1950s, the Westside Club declined to sponsor a bagpipe band. Several club members, a mix of recent immigrants and American-born folks, started the Shamrock Pipe Band outside the umbrella of the Westside IA. Brian Corgan of Owen Duff, a deputy sheriff in Cuyahoga County, became an energizing force. At least five men in the band had played with a pipe band from Keel in Ackle Parish before they immigrated, most notably Steve Malloy. The Shamrock Pipe Band won a national competition in 1957, but piping was eventually absorbed back into the West Side Club. In its early years, the West Side Irish American Club shared space with the Terrence McSweeney Club on West 65th Street, and the two groups co-sponsored a summer picnic and other activities. The McSweeney Club was named after the Lord Mayor of Cork, who died on a hunger strike in a British prison in 1920. In the 1930s, the McSweeney Club was the latest in a long line of Irish nationalist organizations in Cleveland. Though the McSweeney Club disappeared from view by the 1950s, the Anti-Partition League began to receive notice then. Hurler John Ryan, an IRA veteran, was a liaison between the Anti-Partition League and the Westside Club. Westside IA members often brought political action topics to the attention of other members. Gus Boland was a member of a committee that lobbied on Irish immigration issues, for instance. In 1969, longtime member Art McChrystal and labor leader Pat O'Malley began to convene meetings at the Westside Club to discuss the growing troubles in Northern Ireland. Out of these discussions, a new group was founded in 1970 to support the Irish Northern Aid Committee. Irish Northern Aid assisted the dependents of Irish political prisoners and promoted a 32-county Irish Republic. Two of Cleveland's founding Irish Northern Aid members were honored as parade grand marshals, Frank Sheehan in 2002 and John Campbell in 2008. Terry Joyce and Steve Malloy also later founded a chapter of the Irish National Caucus in Cleveland to promote the McBride principles against anti-Catholic discrimination in Northern Ireland. There were earlier attempts to form social clubs on the east side in Euclid and Lake County. The Sons and Daughters of Aaron provide as a social option for Eastsiders in the 1930s and 1940s. Khan Carr, a Donegal native and IRA veteran, and Hibernian Mary O'Leary were prime movers of the Sons and Daughters. Some of the 1950s and 1960 immigrants settled on the East Side for skilled manufacturing jobs at such companies as Cleveland Graphite Bronze, Weatherhead, and Lincoln Electric. Interest in an East Side social center grew. A 1960s immigrant from County Mayo, Jerry Quinn, was a catalyst and founding president of the Irish American Club East Side. The idea for the club was hatched at a Super Bowl party in 1978. In 1981, the club purchased the former Furniture Land Building at 22770 Lakeshore Boulevard in Euclid, Ohio. 
Today, the Eastside IA typically fields nine parade units, a color guard with officers and honorees, the Jack McDonough Fife and Drum Corps, a pom-pom unit, the Flag Corps, the Ladies Drill Team, a Pipes and Drum Unit, a trolley for senior members, a float, and a members' marching unit. The new community energy in the 1950s not surprisingly led in 1958 to a new approach to organizing the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade under the umbrella of the United Irish Societies. But I'll focus on that story next episode. Thanks for listening today. I'm Margaret Lynch. Have a great day. You've been listening to Finding Home, a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society of Cleveland. Find out more about the Society or get in touch at irisharchives.org.